Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to episode 447 of The Whole View. Recent shows have been my questions for you, Sarah. <laughs> this show, we're doing a little upside down because it's it's a little bit for you. Let's be honest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this we, is an intervention, isn't it? A little bit. We were mm-hmm. talking a few weeks ago, I think the beginning of February, uh, about this article that I'd read that really resonated with me about... Um, basic needs not being self-care and how especially over the past year um, moms especially I'm going to use words like moms and women and for our six male listeners I want you to know that you need to take care of yourself as well but this is shown consistently that this is you know a problem with women and mothers that we do not put our oxygen mask on first. We do not take care of ourselves. And we justify things like, oh, I took a shower and that was self-care. Or I went to the grocery store alone. That was self-care. And today we're going to talk about how that is very not (laughs) self-care. That is basic needs. I hope that your hygiene is your hygiene, just like everybody deserves and needs to take a shower. You deserve and need to take a shower. That is not an act of self-care. There's a lot. This of is already things. feeling. I, it's really already feeling very personal and really interventiony. <laughs> like this is. It's funny actually because I wasn't expecting this. I, I mean, I knew this topic was coming, guys. Um, uh, and I, I did, I did like agree <laughs> that this would be a good topic for an episode. It's funny how just you saying that has my like. I want to be defensive about calling showering or flossing my teeth self-care. Um, so obviously this is a conversation that I really need to have, but I, like, I want to be really upfront with, um, there's, there's a piece of me that's like, wants to just slap my, my hands over my ears and go, nah, 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 I can't hear you. So, um, if there's any listeners who are sort of feeling also like, well, if I don't, call, you know, hygiene self-care, then I don't call anything self-care and self-care is just not going to happen. So it's it's better for me to just call that shower self-care. So I at least have something like if you're, that's kind of like my, uh, my instinctive emotional reaction right now. So if you're in this boat with me, um, welcome, welcome to my boat and um, let's, let's sail on together. In your defense, to be fair, There are a lot of things you do do that you might not even realize are self-care. One of the things that I know you do is spend a lot of time with your dog. You go on walks with your dog, you train your your dog, and that is something that brings you joy and Mm -hmm. lights you up from the inside and really kind of like probably feels restorative after you you spend some time doing that. Do you think that's fair? No, no, for sure. I like, I do recognize we typically start every morning with an hour and a half hike in the woods by ourselves, like just the dog and me. And I do recognize how important that time is for me, that it really like sets me up for the whole day. And if something happens that like, um, the, you know, I have to try to get home earlier for a meeting or, 
um, you know, some, you know, there's some kind of like thing that means that has to be cut short. Like I feel that I didn't have my, my, you know, four or five mile hike in the morning. So, um, and having a dog that can do dozens and dozens of different tricks is so fun for me. I like, I just, I love having a, a dog that I can, I can show off, um, and get her to do cool things like for, for, for an audience. So yeah, no, I definitely, um, those are very restorative activities for me. And I would, I would go so far as to say they're activities that hold me together. And that is what I'm going to call self-care. <laughs> like we okay. can just end the show here. So I think that there's a lot of perception that self-care is like mani-pedi or get a massage or, you know, get a facial and that could be self-care for some people. For me, actually getting a massage is very stressful. Sometimes I get like a deep tissue massage because I've got tight muscles or something. And the intimacy and the vulnerability of touch, because that is not my <laughs> is not my like uh, love language. I, I am very much like personal space bubble, hence the anti-hugger. So going and getting a massage is not actually self-care for me because I don't leave feeling restored and and full up I leave feeling very vulnerable and like I need introvert alone time and so what I'm gonna ask you listeners to do is think about the things that make you feel full after make you feel light and those things that feel heavy and for me going to the grocery store um, even if it's alone does not light me up (laughs) Like I feel very heavy and stressed out after if I need to go to the store, especially these days Um, and all the protocols that go into it. And did I get everything that was on my list? Because if I forgot one thing, like I'm not going back for it. And all of those stresses do not equal self-care. And so I see a lot of like, oh, it's so great to go to the store alone. If that's how you feel, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm not here to tell you what your self-care is. But I do want to separate this idea of like fulfilling basic needs like flossing and showering as being something entirely different than um, an emotional fulfillment. And also self-love can be a physical fulfillment. So I kind of like want to walk through both of those. Um, But I want to start with a quote from RuPaul, because if you're not watching RuPaul's Drag Race, I feel very sad for you. Um, (laughs) It is perhaps one of my forms of self-care. I love comedy. I love, um, you know, laughter and and those sort of things that fills my cup. And so I try to find things that are very like light and fun to watch. And Drag Race is one of those. Um, While also being poignant almost every episode. But um, RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself how are you going to love somebody else at the end of every show? And it's one of those like cliche taglines that maybe goes in one ear and out the other. But I I want you to ask yourself, like, if you don't take time to fill your cup up and love yourself, how can you love and take care of someone else? I know that I'm a better mother, that I'm a better wife, I'm a better friend to other people when I have taken care of myself, when I'm not at that precipice of losing my patience, when I'm not feeling, you know, exhausted and so easily, you know, triggered or frustrated or whatever it is. So 
think about this as something that you're doing for others. I know oftentimes when we're first kind of making an effort to do self-care, it can feel very selfish, but I would argue that it's the off, like the opposite of that in that when you take care of yourself, you're actually taking care of other people in a better way because everybody that's around you wants you to be your best self. And this is a way to do that. I think it's really, I was going to say, does that get you in the feels? (laughs) It does. Cause it's, it's funny how I'm like oscillating between, um, feeling very, um, like confident that self-care is something that I'm doing versus like defensive that, um, of like what I'm like, do you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of oscillating now between those two feelings. Um, but I think it's really what's helpful for me as sort of differentiating, um, not just hygiene, but, um, these sort of classic self-care activities that, you know, I have never found a facial to be relaxing. I like the way my skin looks after a facial. And even if I do, uh, you know, a home facial or like a mask at home, to me, that that is not a, a restorative activity that falls under the banner of uh, hygiene, right? Something that I am doing to look after my skin. Um, and I like the way my skin looks after, but there's nothing about that experience that I'm like, ah, oh, that feels so great to have this sticky thing on my face. Um, so I like being able to sort of broaden the definition of self-care while drawing a, a really really important distinction um, that is something that is not draining is different than something that's restorative. So just because it's easier to go to the grocery store by ourselves compared to with kids in tow doesn't mean that that's a restorative activity just because it's easier than the alternative. Um, And so I'm sort of like trying to think about activities in that, in that differentiating between, um, something being, you know, easier because of, you know, whatever, like something that is, yeah, not draining versus something that actually like fills the cup and, and allows me to have more to, to give my family. And that, that kind of differentiation, I think, is really important for me to sort of wrap my head around. Okay, I think I do do self care. I just think it doesn't look like the classic massages and manicures and you know getting my hair done and, and those sort of um, what what the uh, Instagram influencer world would tell me is self care. What right, I do the cliche is different. Versions. Yes, the right. Cliche I play versions. in the dirt. Right. Like yes. I I get muddy, and that to me is a um, I. Honestly, digging a hole with a shovel is one of the most um, fun things I can think of to do. Um, Now I realize I'm a unique flower here. Um, This is a pun because it's digging, get it? Um, But uh, (laughs) And we all just moaned. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that that to me is so like trying to just broaden my definition of what self-care is and understanding what are the things that I I do make time for in my life because I see them as being... um, you know, again, sort of these like activities that kind of hold me together and like redefine those as my self-care activities. I love that you're 
pointing all this out, and I think that you're kind of going to go on a journey as we walk through the rest of this, um, because what's interesting is I've kind of defined four types of self-care. I've done a lot of research, and sometimes I'll see like a list of seven or sometimes a list of 11, and I think that there's subgroups of kind of four classifications, and -hmm. what's interesting to me is you lean on outdoor activities. Like, that's that's one of the things I, I just having known you for a long time, I know that um, what really is fulfilling for you is things that are outdoors. Um, And so it could be grouped into like one or two of these four categories. And what I want everyone to do when I'm kind of talking through these is think about the things that you do or don't do that are in all four of these, because I personally lean away from one of them, <laughs> like really hard, like, nope, I don't need to do that. That's, that's hard. That, that makes me uncomfortable a little bit. Um, but when I lean into it, and when I really kind of, for example, set boundaries for myself, and say no to things, even though it really goes against my nature, it's actually really restorative for me. And um, that's kind of counterintuitive because it feels uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. But when I do, I feel so much better. These are the kinds of things that I really challenge everyone to think about, like, what, what outcome has you feeling lighter and better and all those things that we talked about. Um, and it might not necessarily feel like something that is self-care upfront, if, especially if it makes you feel uncomfortable. But those are the things that I think we all have kind of um, comfort measures that we take for ourselves or, um, you know, different kinds of things that we lean into that we feel like are self-care. And they probably are, but they're not going to be um, fully restorative if you're not kind of expressing that overall. So the types of self-care that I've kind of grouped, and again, this is this is just me. I'm not a medical professional. Um, I, I don't have like a, you know, like a um, psychology degree or something like that. But I, what I will say is Sarah and I have talked about the science of stress. I, I don't know, Sarah, how many times it's our you know, 447th show. So maybe 447 times. <laughs> um, Approximately. Yeah. But stress is, is incredibly inflammatory and makes it really difficult for you to optimize your health if you are not managing stress. And we use the word manage stress all the time. And I don't think that we've really properly you know, we've talked about meditation separately. We've talked about pets separately. We've talked about a bunch of different things. Um, and the benefits of those activities as being healthy for you in specific show topics. And I want you to see full picture why those contribute to overall health. And part of it is because it's reducing your stress, which is coming from an act of self-care, right? Like it, it mm-hmm. if you thread the needle fully, this is this is where it all kind of comes together. And so um, those are certain types of self-care. And for me, I've classified them as things that you can do in your mind. And those would be things, um, you know, like emotional self-care. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. that. Um, things that you can do for your body. I mean, how many times have we talked about getting sunshine, going on a walk, getting sleep. Those are acts of self-care. You're you're restoring yourself. You're taking care of your body. Um, then the one that I personally have a difficult time with is interpersonal. And this is where when someone needs something of you, you're kind of the giving tree, right? Like you are, 
you are giving of yourself to a point where you no longer have anything to give if you don't create some interpersonal boundaries and restore some of that um, based on your relationship with others, with other people, social media, all that kind of stuff, right? Is I'm grouping in there. Wow. And then okay. my, my mind is already blown and I know we're <laughs> going to get into this in more depth. Um, so we're actually characterizing the balance between giving and setting boundaries and saying no as self-care. We are saying that saying no to something is self-care. It can be if that's restorative for you, right? And this is all very subjective. But Sarah, how many times have you and I talked about how, you know, we had this like big project or we had this big deadline and it was so stressful and it was so overwhelming and just telling someone, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to need another week or this is Mm -hmm. not a good fit for me. I'm not going to take this on right now. How light you felt after that. Yeah, it's really so I'm a person who I have a really hard time saying no. And I especially have a hard time saying no to myself. So I'm a person who gets I'm a big ideas kind of person. Uh, That's not going to shock any of our regular listeners. And, um, and I, um, I have this, this, I think, bad habit of, um, you know, getting, say, like, almost to the finish line of one project, and then getting the big idea for the next thing. And like, I have to really force myself to like wrap up this thing before I start the next thing. And so it ends up being like, I have to say no to my own ideas. So it's not just, um, you know, opportunities that I might be presented with. Um, I'm getting better at saying no and sort of selecting which ones to take and what, and where to, 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 you know, draw a, a firm line in terms of, um, contributing to other people's projects, but I have a really hard time saying no to myself. Like that's a great idea that I'm going to shelve and think about in a year. That is a, a really, really tough thing for me to do. And so the idea of, again, so saying no as being, cause saying no for me is so hard. Yes. I feel lighter after it's done, but I, I inherently am very conflict averse Um, and I don't like disappointing people and I don't, I certainly don't like disappointing myself. So the, the, there's this like stress that I have to get through before I get the light feeling, if that makes any sense. Yes, exactly. And that's where I was saying up front, this might be easier for different personality types. Like it might be harder for someone to, um, do personal Um, which is the last category that I'm going to talk about that you and I do a really good job of. We both have hobbies. We both um, do, we both enjoy cooking and baking Mm -hmm. and different sort of like personal outlets that can feel restorative. Um, That's just our personality type, but we have a very difficult time, a harder time um, feels more uncomfortable for us to draw boundaries and say no to certain sort of things. If we feel like, at least I'll speak for myself, that it's going to hurt someone or affect their life Mm -hmm. in some sort of way. Like, right. My whole perception is, well, I don't want to do that to them. And I'm always. I co-sign. I co-sign on that. Okay. Yeah. So I'm always thinking about the other person's needs instead Mm -hmm. of my own needs. Yes. And that is what I'm trying to help us frame. And that's okay to do sometimes. I'm not saying that that's, you know, a, a never thing that you, it would be impossible to live your life without like putting your children first sometimes, right? Like it's just, it is what it is. 
I'm going to jump back in here. I'm sure it's an odd, odd little break because I actually just got interrupted by Wesley. What, what about the timing of that? Um, I'm sure Matt that will put it in the bloopers, but I told I epic actually it was, it per- was perfect timing. Yeah, my yeah, point it, you couldn't have been better. My point is that um, you, sometimes you have to put your kids first, absolutely, but you can't always put everybody else first because then you are the giving tree. And I think for us moms, like we've read that story and identified a little too, too much, right? Like you, you cry at the story and you're like, oh my gosh, why does the tree keep giving and giving? Um, actually, there's some people that read that story and don't even realize that that's what the tree is doing. And they think that the tree is um, a, a wonderful thing. And, and like at the end, the tree is dead and the tree could have given some and then waited to grow some more and then said no. And that's, that's the balance that we need to find for self-care, right? So, okay, let's jump in to mind. Um, just kind of circling back to these four types of self-care. We have talked about the health benefits of meditation Mm -hmm. and me refusing to call it meditation Mm -hmm. (laughs) many times on this show. Um, What I want to say is that, you know, we really get hung up on our perfections. And um, I think this idea of a mantra for myself was really uncomfortable for me at first. But um, we did a recent show. I think the um, also the body image show could be an act of self-care for you to go back and like listen to those those shows and Mm -hmm. treat them like meditation. Really absorb some of the words and the messages that are coming through if that's something you need to hear. There was a period of time in my life where I really needed to surround myself with positive words that encouraged me to feel comfortable and love the skin that I was in. I no longer need as much of that for self-care because I now believe it and I and I'm living it and it's my truth. And so if you need, you know, a reminder on meditation or self-love in general um, to say things like I'm whole, I love myself. I love my body. My body is worthy of love. I am worthy of love. The more you say those things, the more you believe it. And you might not believe it at first. And, you know, a lot of people put like a post-it note up on their mirror and they say it every day when they're brushing their teeth or whatever you need to do. But I think these can be ways to meditate and to practice that emotional self-care and self-love without actually like sitting down and listening to the music and feeling uncomfortable. I'm like literally scratching my head and face palming as I say and think about that kind of meditation. <laughs> Do you know what's really interesting for, for, for me listening to this is I actually have a much easier time with the sort of guided meditation of sit and listen to the music and take the deep breaths and be aware of that, you know, you're breathing and the rise and fall of your chest, like those types of body scan type meditations. I actually have an easier time with that style of meditation than I do with the self-speak with the gratitude style. practice and stuff. And yeah. Yeah. I can, um, gratitude practice. Um, I tend to focus on, uh, characteristics that are not related to my physical self. So if I'm doing gratitude practice, it would be, uh, you know, being grateful for my work ethic or grateful for, uh, my like science brain, right? Like it's, it's sort of, I, I take it to a a different place where I'm comfortable as opposed Mm -hmm. to challenging. Um, I, I find that I'm just more comfortable, not, 
um, not wading into uh, body positivity, I tend to avoid it. So just as like, we've just hit another place where I'm like, yep. this is this is an area that I need to work on. I actually have an easier time listening to Tibetan gongs <laughs> and meditating than I do telling myself that I love my body. Um, so, you know, in the interest of, of trying to um, share, I think we've got challenges that certainly overlap. And then we've got areas that are are almost like dipoles of each other. And I think it's, um, it's helpful to communicate how we can have these areas that we recognize are challenging and still find self-care practice in all of the other places, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think this is a really great example of something feeling uncomfortable, but feeling restorative on the other end, because Mm, I guarantee you, if you, if you kind of, got a little uncomfortable and did this and you really kind of like breathed it and accepted it, um, you would feel restored on the other, on the other side. Because, so here's another thing that I think is really important for kind of mind self-care is this idea of reframing, right? And um, I recently did this because we went to go whale watching this weekend and we didn't see whales. And we could have really like focused on the negativity of, all the effort that we went to to try to see whales in a socially distant, safe sort of way and driving down and driving back up and like all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could have focused on the negativity of that. And that would have been our truth because that's how we perceive it. We What we perceive is our reality, right? And so instead, I actively, while we were all having breakfast together, said, you know what? I am so glad that we found a way to like safely get outside of the house, get some fresh air. We got to see dolphins. We got to see birds we'd never seen before. Like the weather was great. We didn't, you know, encounter all these issues that could have gone wrong. Um, And how lucky are we that we got to have this experience and, you know, that Matt got to get off of work and blah, blah, blah. And I think what was interesting is how quickly the kids kind of perked up and were like, yeah, you're right. We are lucky that the weather was great. You are lucky that we saw that pod of dolphins, you know, like and all these things rather than this idea of the negativity. And so um, I would encourage you, especially as you're working on this kind of like mind, emotional self-care to really not just challenge yourself from a self-love perspective, but also like, what are your perceptions and how can you change that reality for yourself if it's bringing you down, if it feels heavy, um, you know, thinking about a, a different kind of spin on things. And that's not to say that, you know, your experience is invalid. Absolutely it is. But it could also be your experience that there was positivity associated with that as well. And you're not seeing that because you're only feeling mm. the negativity or the darkness. So um, another great way to do that is to actually work with a therapist, right? Like this is a form of therapy is reframing and talking it out with someone. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of mental well-being as well as physical well-being. And I would highly encourage people to practice um, self-care through therapy if that's something that you feel you would benefit from. Oftentimes people feel very uncomfortable with that, but restorative on the other side, right? Like you you don't want to talk to a stranger about your problems, um, but just venting about it and having someone who is a neutral party help you work through and reframe could be incredibly restorative. 
And then the last piece we've kind of like already talked about a little bit, but really that self-acceptance piece. So Sarah, what you were talking about in terms of like that self-gratitude practice is really a a practice of self-acceptance and respect that we've talked about on the show before. And I know especially for people who have multiple autoimmune diseases and, you know, they feel like their bodies are betraying them. It's really a matter of kind of like working to reframe and accept, look at the progress that you've made. Look at where you were years ago. Um, How would your body have deteriorated over the last decade instead of improving your health over the last decade and being grateful to your body for being willing to make those changes and to work with you as far as you've gotten. And it doesn't mean that you don't want to continue to improve and be healthier, but you can accept where you are today um, and say, okay, I I have the ability to X, Y, Z. Um, I have the ability to go on a walk with my dog and play with my dog and do these things. And um, I have the energy to be a mom and run a business and, you know, all this stuff. Great. Thank you, body. Thank thank you for helping me get here uh, because you can't kind of work on tweaking and improving the rest and you'll never get to a place of self-love if you don't have self-acceptance first mm-hmm. because you'll always be chasing the next best thing, right? If you don't accept where you are, you're going to constantly, you're going to get to where you wanted to go and then you're going to be like, but this, this, and this need to be better as well. And so- I think we always feel like if I just did that next thing, if I just lost those five pounds or if I just, you know, you know, fix this thing on my nose or if I just got Botox, then I would feel great and I would love myself. But the thing is, like, nobody magically feels that way when you do that one thing. It's a perpetual, like, thirst that cannot be quenched because we didn't accept ourselves before. Why are we going to accept ourselves after that one thing? Of course, we're going to find the next thing that we don't like about ourselves because we're not in a state of acceptance. I, um, I sort of also feel like this, this idea of like moving the bar as we get close to it goes, I think, I think it kind of crosses a lot of these different topics because I know that I do that, um, not just in health, like, you know, pre pandemic when I, worked out at the gym, like as soon as I get close to a new, you know, max on my lifts, I would have a, like, I want to be able to back squat 250. Yep. Well, yep. the second that I back squat 250, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking time to really sit in that celebration of what I just, what I just did. I'm like, okay, now 275. And then, you know, like, and then 300, I want to be in the, I want to be able to, you know, back oh, yeah. squat. I came in like yeah. second in a lifting competition and a strong woman competition. And I, I was so negative and hard on myself for not winning. Like I never took the time. I, I see it now. Right. But like, yeah. I did not accept how amazing it was to come second place in a, in a competition, in a statewide competition or whatever, you know? So I think it totally applies to a lot of different aspects. And I think ultimately that is mental self-care though, because you have to be able to apply that to multiple facets, whether it's, you know, the five pounds you want or accepting that your body with autoimmune conditions is, you feel like holding you back but it's also okay. You, you, we need to accept it. We need to love our body regardless. Like there's 
there's multiple facets of that that extend across the the board. But I'm glad you brought up lifting because it's kind of the next thing is um, loving your your physical self. And we're, we're talking about some of that. We talk about ways in which to practice self-care to your body very often on this show. Mm-hmm. And it's the one thing that really kind of um, sets me apart and not aligned with the um, complete anti-diet culture movement and the whole um, eat everything because anyway, we had a show on that. We'll put a link in the show notes. But <laughs> I, what I want to focus on is nourishing yourself with food and with moving your body and with sleeping and these different kinds of things that we've talked about. These are acts of self-love. You, We don't want you to come to the autoimmune protocol or a Nutrivore approach as a form of punishment or as a form of diet culture. I, that's like my biggest message about what we do. And I, I try to infuse that in, in everything we talk about because I think it's really important that when you're nourishing your body with a salad or, you know, whatever it is, that it's not coming from a place of I have to do this or I'm punishing myself because, you know, I had pizza yesterday. It's because you're coming at it from a a place of self-love that you want to care for your body and you want to nourish it. And you want it, I think of sometimes when I eat those kinds of foods, like for me, it's soup, right? Like very veggie rich soup. I think as I'm consuming it, and it's not like an active process for me, I actually kind of like envision those nutrients going into the cells and you can't see it but I'm like making all kinds of hand motions of them like (laughs) going into my body Mm -hmm. but for me that is an act of of self-care and when I consume veggie rich broths I feel restorative after I feel like I just I just loved my body in the best way I can because I feel so good and I knew how good it was for me and how nourishing it was I don't have these like negative guilt, you know, associations of like, I should do more of that or what, at least most of the time I'm, I'm human. I'm not imperfect either. Right. But I think that is an act of like physical self-love is really focusing on, you know, what we talk about that gut health, that gut healing, um, broad range of macronutrients, amino acids, all that kind of stuff, a real Nutrivore approach is an act of physical self-love, but it needs to be coming from a positive place. I think that's really interesting because I think when I think back to like pre sort of the paleo was sort of the start of my health journey, right? I think back to a time before that where I was much more immersed in diet culture and sort of, uh, calories and low carb, right. It was sort of like my, my pathways into, into, uh, really focusing on health instead of just focusing on weight. But I think about how I thought of food as self-care before was, uh, like a treat or an indulgence as being self-care. And I love sort of flipping that and, and sort of thinking about the healthy foods we choose in between as being, the self-care, not that there isn't room for an indulgence. Um, but instead of thinking of it as like, I deserve a treat, thinking of it as like, I deserve to nourish my body. (laughs) Like, and that, 
that thinking of every opportunity when I'm choosing that healthier option as being self-care, I think is a really positive way to think about food. And I think, you know, if I think about like my 10 years ago self, that was not how I was thinking about food, right? Food was this like constant source of stress because I either felt like I was deprived or I felt like I was cheating. And it was, you know, like I, I was either making a bad choice or I was depriving myself of the thing that I really wanted. And to sort of flip that self-narrative about food, I think is really empowering. Yeah, it's definitely where I came from. And I remember early on feeling like just changing the words, I'm choosing not to eat this versus I can't eat this and different kinds Mm -hmm. of changes like that were really powerful and empowering um, for me as well, because it was a choice that I was making to feel my best. It wasn't that I couldn't eat it. I could go eat whatever today. I might go into anaphylactic shock, but, um, (laughs) you know, like that's a reason for me to choose not to do it. Right. So, um, okay. So the next thing is we actually had, um, Sari, you shared a comment from someone in your, um, group, your, remind me what group that was was from. from, This was from a, this is a listener who was also in uh, my recent session of the AIP lecture series. Thank you. Okay. So I'm now going to read the whole comment, but what was really powerful for the both of us is that despite all the things that we talk about on this show, there was a moment in one of our shows where we talked about um, a way to indicate health as we have dance parties, right? Like you and I both are super goofy and um, Mm -hmm. we dance with our kids and we try to embarrass them. And um, embarrassing my kids is definitely a self-care activity. It is for me as well. I feel feel so much lighter when I can see them get a little, get a little blush. That shade of that shade of pink is my favorite. It is so restorative. Yes. So um, I loved this comment from, um, this listener, she listens to the show as well. Hello. Um, and really kind of wanted to highlight that as move your body. Because I think if I say that it's an act of self-care physically to move your body, people are going to assume that I mean running or going to the gym to lift heavy. Like if if that is what you're into and it feels restorative, great. Um, but I'm not talking about doing this for weight loss or for maxing your deadlift. I'm talking about moving your body as an act of self-care and self-love because it's important for health and you're doing it in a way that is um, restorative for you. So especially if you're like walking outside or, you know, like we all feel amazing when we come back from going to the pool because we've been out in the sunlight and we've like, you know, for me, at least I love um, swimming. And so I feel very buoyant in the water. And I just I feel lighter as I walk home from the pool in the summertime. Um, Those are the things that I'm talking about. Dance parties, like move your body in a way that works for you, that um, makes you feel good and lighter after. And we've talked about this on the show multiple times, just like food is not a punishment, exercise is not a punishment. We're just talking about how fulfilling and how great this can be. And for some people, this might be hard for you to lean into because you might not know the best way to move your body if your body is, you know, inflamed. Or you might 
feel like exercise has been a punishment your whole life and is associated with required weight loss or different kinds of things. So I would challenge you to find the things that feel good for you. Um, Things like, I think there's still a free trial with Peloton app has different sort of like yoga exercises. I know there's um, free YouTube videos of um, yoga people and try out a bunch of different people. You might try yoga once with like, you know, the gong stuff and I don't like that at all. (laughs) But then you might try like a different yoga person and you might love them and it might feel restorative, you know? I mean, even, even when post pandemic, when you're going to classes, um, different yoga, cause I did yoga for 17 years before switching to, um, sort of CrossFit style. And I still do yoga as a, um, recovery activity, but it's more self-directed now. And, um, and so even different yoga teachers have very different styles. And so try, you know, try even, like going to different classes once once we're we're through this pandemic. I'm I'm talking to the people who are finding our podcast, you know, a year from now. That's me being very very optimistic that everything's going to be completely normal. Um, but I want to share because I had um, this yoga teacher I loved. His name was David, and he had this phrase that he would say every class. He would say, "Do it so that you like it, so that you like doing it." And that philosophy to me it applies to all activity, right? Like the activity that will become a hobby that we enjoy, that we have, um, that is restorative, that um, we definitely always want to make time for is the thing that's fun. The thing that, um, you know, feels good when we're doing it and feels good afterwards. And I think that, you know, that philosophy can apply to yoga, but it can apply to any activity, any sport. Um, It can apply to, being super silly, uh, doing spontaneous dance parties to Sandra Boynton's Tickle Time, which is my personal favorite. Um, and, um, and just like whatever it is that makes that activity fun and enjoyable is that's, that's the thing to do, right? Activity isn't just, as you said, Stacy, it's not a punishment. It's not a job for most of us anyways. It's a hobby that makes us healthier. And so, you know, think about other hobbies. Why do you do them? They're fun. You find some kind of, you know, sense of fulfillment or enjoyment from them and apply that to whatever um, active hobby you might also think about taking on. Yes. And the last thing is sleep. And we have dedicated show. Do you still have the sleep ebook? Yeah, sure do. It's called go to bed because guess what the best thing is to make sure you get enough sleep with the number one tip. Going to bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of need to be there for restorative sleep. Yeah. So I'm not going to go super in depth. I feel like we've covered this a lot, but that is another act of self-care, making time to put yourself first and getting enough restorative sleep. So um, that could be just, you know, if there's one thing you decide to pick up, um, maybe that's it. Maybe you start with sleep because we've talked about how that allows you to do other things. I think is kind of the biggest part about sleep is when you're restored sleep wise, you're mentally able to kind of help handle other things coming your way. So maybe if you get more sleep, mm-hmm. you'll be able to take on more of these self-care things. So, all right, I'm going to move on to the most difficult one for the both of us, which is interpersonal. And I'm defining that as kind of your relationships with others. Um, 
one of the things that I've started doing is disconnecting and I'm trying to do it once a month. Um, that might not be nearly enough for other people and that might seem overwhelming for you. It feels overwhelming for me as well. But for the past two months, I've turned off my phone and disconnected entirely for 24 hours um, each month. And that is because I feel very um, restored from social media and communities and most and those things most of the time, but it really kind of like builds up for me where I end up feeling like that giving tree, where I end up feeling like it never stops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like social media is always there. Um, you know, I have Zoom meetings all day long. We record this podcast. Um, I have four kids who are in virtual school. Um, I have, you know, the social media that I use for both my own kind of personal use in the blog, but also for my business and my team members, like it's just, it's, it's constant and it never turns off. I have team members in multiple time zones. And so if I don't say to myself, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a, I'm going to breathe for this one day. Um, then I never catch my breath, if that makes sense. And so, um, there's a, a lot of interesting, um, information on the internet about different kinds of connection that you can make. Like if Zoom fatigue is feeling very real for you, have you considered different things like Voxer app is one that I use a lot, or maybe you want to connect with your friends and family on Marco Polo, which is like a video talking thing versus Zoom or versus social media. Like maybe the disconnection that you need to make is that one social media app in particular is very draining for you. I know a lot of people felt that way um, around the time of the election as polarizing views on things were being expressed. And um, shockingly, most of us um, are not uniquely only on one side or the other that we have strong, like opinions that we agree with people on. That's why they're our friends to begin with. And so if you're just feeling very like pulled in that sort of way, honestly, the best thing that you can do is just kind of remove yourself from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know um, if that rings a bell for you, Sarah. I know you have built in these sort of measures much better than I have. So I, um, I basically, uh, I have do not disturb on my phone for, from eight to eight, 12 hours. Um, so I don't, after 8 PM, I'm not seeing text messages. I'm not seeing notifications. Um, and I also, when I do my morning hikes with a dog, that is unplugged time. There may be a little Pokemoning, but I don't count that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not looking at the news. I'm not looking at my email. Um, that to me kind of falls under play rather than um, the part of uh, walking around with the internet in my pocket that is stressful. And so, um, and so really, I between you know an hour and a half walk plus twelve hours of uh, do not disturb, I I really only have my phone able to, um, interrupt my thoughts. Um, actually I have most notifications turned off on my phone as well. So I should actually say, um, I've been really proactive in terms of, well, do I, do I need this notification? Do I need news alerts? Absolutely not. Um, I consider myself sort of a high information like person in general. Um, but I, batch my time. So my time to scroll through the news on my phone is like, it's, it's a, 
dedicated time where that's what I'm, I'm doing. It might be while I'm, you know, eating lunch or something. Um, so there's still a multitasking aspect, but it's not, um, it's, I'm not letting it take my attention away from another part of my day that's dedicated to something else. Um, and then, you know, our, our family, major family hobby pre pandemic was camping. And I would, if a, if a campground said it had free Wi-Fi, I would not go to that campground. I was very specifically looked for not Wi-Fi enabled campgrounds where I get no signal. So that was, um, you know, maybe four to six camping trips a year during the, the, you know, spring and fall mostly. Um, and so that was sort of like my more like long, long disconnect. Um, I haven't tried to replicate that during the pandemic. Like I haven't tried to just put my phone away for a whole weekend. Um, but I also don't feel, I feel like I've created enough boundaries with my phone that it's not, um, I I've been able to get it to a point where it's not that like thing that's sort of building in the background, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I think you're kind of pointing out the two sides of this coin, which is that when you disconnect from the things that feel like they're draining you. Um, so in this case, we're talking a lot about online, but it also might be from people needing you. Like you might need mm -hmm. to tell your employer, like I'm actually taking Saturday and Sunday off. You know, I used to have the kind of job that I worked every day, even on the weekends. Like you might need to say like, I am not going to check email Saturday and Sunday. I wouldn't suggest not telling them that and then just disconnecting because then you're not setting an expectation for them that is consistent with what they've come to expect. And I think that's really one of the helpful tips that I can say with some of these boundaries that we're drawing is really people are okay with a lot of things if you just tell them what you need or you tell them what to expect. Because if you've built a habit with people of coming to expect something like you perpetually being available, then that's what they'll come to expect. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I text Sarah after 8 p.m., she's not going to see it. And it doesn't it doesn't make me mad or upset. No, I just, you get a 6 a.m. text the next morning when right. I wake up and look when at my I'm phone. When I'm asleep, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my phone isn't there, so it's fine too, right? Like we've come to know and expect from one another what what our boundaries are, what our timing is. Mm -hmm. um, and if Sarah were to all of a sudden change that to 4 p.m. and then I were, well, I was texting her at 6 p.m. and she was not responding, I might get flustered, right? Like I might get mm -hmm. frustrated by that because I don't, I don't know what to. Or worried. You're right. I can also see you being Absolutely. like, oh no, is everything okay? She's not responding to my text. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Um, perhaps I was trying to, you know, make a point Flustered. about stress, well, but yeah, but that's another form of stress. Of share a story here because, um, you know, I have a, I have a team of, you know, four people. And so we're, I mean, I'm a, I'm a small business is what I am. Um, and as we, you know, started sort of building this team and defining rules for each person, uh, one of the things is everyone sort of works flex hours. And there wasn't ever, like, I don't, um, I don't take consistent weekends off of work. And so there was kind of, it just sort of like organically happened that nobody else did either. And we ended up, this was a couple of years ago, having like a conversation as a team of, hey, we all actually need weekends. How can we change um, the, you know, our 
blog posting schedule, our social media share schedule, how, like, how can we, um, how can we adjust, um, like expectations with, uh, you know, readers, for example, so that we can actually all take a weekend. And it was, um, you know, it was something that, you know, we had to sort of figure out as a team how to do that, but we now have on the team defined weekends. Um, so there's no emails between anybody. There's certainly no, like, I'm not emailing anybody or calling anybody or texting or voxing anybody on the weekends. And it's been, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm still doing a little bit of work. Um, I, I know that some of my team like to get a couple of hours in on the weekend when they have, you know, their spouses home to watch the toddlers and that type of thing. And that's fine, but we're not, um, it's on their terms. It's not, it's not a like boss expecting their staff to work weekends and to, to drop whatever they're doing to answer an important email right away. And I can tell you as the boss in this situation that it was just as helpful for me in terms of work-life balance as it was for my team. And so if you're sort of feeling like, yeah, I've been doing this for years of, you know, responding to emails on the weekends. Um, there's always, you know, this feels like there's always something that comes up on the weekends that needs, needs my attention that can't wait till Monday morning. Um, like have the conversation with, with your, you know, whoever that is, your supervisor, your colleagues, your, your boss, um, because it might be just as helpful for them in their lives to have that line drawn. And, um, and I can tell you that as this became a conversation, it was something that I was extremely like, not just open to, but like, yes, please, this would be great. I would love to, to solve this because I also don't like being on call on the weekends. You know what that's called, what you did with your team? Mm, no. You, you are setting expectations and creating boundaries, which is one of the ways that you can practice interpersonal self-care. Uh, I feel like I'm really bad at boundaries, but maybe maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am. Well, I think it it depends, right? Like in some areas, I could probably benefit from adding some more boundaries. And that's one of the things. This is always an evolution. This is not something that like you'll do this week and then you'll be done. I think we always need to kind of look at what our individual needs are. And one of the things that I think is really important, especially about boundaries, is that no one can read your mind. If you aren't telling people what you need, you can't expect them to give it to you. And especially as your needs change, I know for me, my needs changed a lot over the past year. Um, I never was with my children 24 seven. And so therefore the need to have intentional breaks from that for personal alone time was not something I ever needed to communicate before. And once I started saying, I need this, like, you know, Matt and I have gotten to the point where I'll text him and say, when you're home, I'm tapping out. Like, and that means... I'm, I'm disappearing and you're in charge. Like I'm literally <laughs> unavailable. Um, I'm passing the baton. And that's, that's a way that I practice self-care because it's something that I need. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I would really suggest kind of that you mentioned as well is, is scheduling things, whether that's um, appointments and this could be things like an annual mammogram. Like that's, that's an act of self-care. I know it doesn't feel like it, but you feel mm-hmm. better on the other side. Right. No, no, um, no, what? no. <laughs> yeah. 
also things like annual exams or, um, you know, I don't know if you, people have gotten skin checks with the dermatologist. I'm someone who's very fair skinned with skin cancer that runs in my family. So that's something that, you know, I feel better after I've done and been cleared, um, all that kind of stuff. But also scheduling appointments means things like um, rearranging and and planning for the way that you did with your team, Sarah, um, the different kinds of tasks that you may have in your mm-hmm. professional life or um, different activities with the kids. Like, do you have a true schedule where you know exactly what's happening on what days and it's on a calendar so that when you add things to the calendar, you can see oh, Thursday's getting too much. No, let's not do that on Thursday. Let's do that on Friday instead. Because you might be feeling extra stressed and overwhelmed if you're not really like seeing everything all laid out in um, a way that you can kind of like schedule and be able to take downtime, right? One of the things that's the benefit of the schedule is you can ensure that you have some restorative time there. So, okay, it's getting... I know, I know we're getting on, but I just wanted, I wanted to share a tip. This was um, somebody who I was, I was watching an interview and one of the things that they said they did in terms of work-life balance for scheduling was they would always schedule like longer than they, like quite a lot longer than they really thought any particular task would take. So, uh, you know, scheduling, let's say an hour for cleaning up the kitchen after dinner, right? Um, but really cleaning up the kitchen probably takes 20 you know, 20 minutes. Let's, I'm just, this is just a, an example. I'm pulling out of a hat right now. Um, but then what she did was however long was left over in that schedule, she didn't go find something else to fill that time. That was when she would sit with a book, you know, like, and, you know, do something, um, relaxing. I do, right? I do love so, that idea. Yeah. Um, the idea of sort of like, you know, if you finish your task early in your allotted time, instead of moving straight on to the next task and being like, okay, well, I can, I can book off more time for this next thing. Um, instead of taking that opportunity to be like, okay, look, I, I finished this thing 10 minutes early. I'm going to take this 10 minutes to just take a breath, right? Like, and whatever it is that you fill that time with, but, but fill that time with something restorative rather than the next item on the to-do list. Sounds like what they were doing with that extra time is things that were bringing them personal fulfillment and joy, things in their personal self-care list. <laughs> I, I created that segue for you. You're, you're welcome that I like, you threw the ball and I caught it. Look at us. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is the area that I know Sarah and I both um, really lean into, and this might be hard for you. I know that this is kind of hard for um I was going to say Matt, but no, he reads books. Anyway, you might not have a hobby. You might not have something that you love that fills this. But I I created the last category as kind of like personal because these are the things that um, I think have been difficult or I've heard a lot from people in the last year. If the things that brought you personal fulfillment were like going out and spending time in public places, um, then this category was hit very hard. As an introvert, this category wasn't hit very hard for me because I don't, I don't like people. So (laughs) I think it actually was kind of a benefit. Um, Gosh, I make myself sound like such a jerk, but I'm really like a a nice, caring person about people I know. I just have a hard time with strangers. So just introvert life. That's all it is. It is. It is. Okay. So I think 
you know, one of the things that I heard a lot this year is like, I just don't feel like myself. I feel disconnected from the world. Those kinds of feelings can be helped through these intentional, personal self-care acts, things that you do to connect yourself with yourself again, right? These things that really personally bring you joy. For me, this year, I have become a crazy plant lady, right? Mm -hmm. Like I am so into my plants. I literally was late to start the podcast because I was talking to and rearranging and loving and watering and trimming my plants. And then all of a sudden it was 946 and I was supposed to have been up here at 945. Um, That was very restorative for me. Like, (laughs) I I needed to do it before we yeah. did this because I no, needed fair. to kind of like, you know, take care of myself before pouring into this show. Um, and a hobby might be different for you. I know Sarah's talked about Pokemon. I really like Mahjong. I play Mahjong online, um, sometimes with my neighbors and sometimes just with like computers or strangers. Um, with uh, the kids, like one of them has taken up online MMA like it's a zoom class and they like do their you know stuff um you know like over zoom um but also things like cooking and baking doing your makeup doing a skincare routine this is where like masks and stuff would fall in maybe not for me I just I just I just want everyone to know this is what I'm saying is that I do it as hygiene. Some of these things are not self-care and restorative for people it really is so dependent um yeah Things like playing games, which is something our family has done and really enjoys, is interesting for me that it's not something that the kiddo ever did and it's very stressful for them. Like they don't, they feel like they don't know the rules. They feel like, you know, they're not going to be as good as everybody else because it's not something they've ever done. And so it is, it is the opposite of self-care for them. It's very stressful for them when we have family board games. So it really just depends on individual people. I know for me, like art and painting and drawing and stuff is very stressful mm-hmm. because I'm a perfectionist. And if it doesn't look the way that I want it in my head, I get stressed out. So that's not self-care for me, but it might be like for my oh, mom. It is for me. Yeah, for my for mom, yeah. it is. So these are the things that I say like, Whatever that hobby is for you, whatever this personal thing is for you, um, this would be the area that I'm classifying as personal. And I would also put here things like reading, writing, and listening. So maybe it's in reading dystopian team fiction if you're mm-hmm, Sarah. My favorite genre, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's listening to podcasts if you're Matt. Maybe it's listening to music if you're me. Um, right? It's it's these kinds of things that lead to a dance party, which is moving your body, which, you know what I mean? Like all of mm-hmm. these things thread together to help overall reduce your stress. And so I'm just kind of want to like circle us back to this idea that we're doing all of these things for others, because when we are our best selves, we are better to and for others, but also because this really, these things can improve your health. I know that you're like, oh, Stacy. no, seriously. Like if for no other reason, tell yourself that your basic needs of flossing your teeth are not enough to practice self-care for your own personal health and well-being. I mean, Sarah, I don't know if you want to like throw out off the top of your head some science and information because we haven't really had a lot of that about stress. (laughs) But like, you know, and, and I think the reason is because we've talked about it so much before, but But this is so important because 
self-care is something that's been really hard for scientists to define and where it has found its definition in scientific studies is in activities that help regulate the HPA axis, which we just talked about last week on the show, um, that what it, what physiologically these type of activities boil down to is a regulated stress response, a stress response that is proportional to the stressor as opposed to a runaway stress response, a exaggerated stress response, which is the impact that chronic stress can have. And so um, where, you know, self-care sort of finds its scientific definition is in basically any point of the HPA axis, right? So it could be how the amygdala is actually talking to the hypothalamus or how the hippocampus is talking to the hypothalamus rather than what the adrenal glands exactly are doing, right? But it basically comes down to um, a reversing dysregulation of the HPA axis and having a stress response, a fight or flight response that is um, reined in and regulates itself and turns itself off when the lion actually does go away. And um, and having a um, regulated stress response then regulates other hormones. It regulates the immune system. It regulates gut health. It impacts the gut microbiome. It impacts sleep quality and tissue healing and cravings and appetite. And so by by engaging in self-care, which is subjective, the the end result is a stress response that is better regulated so that we have the mental energy for other things in our life. I could count on you to bring it back around to the science of, um, of the health of it all, but also just as a reminder that this is why it's so individual, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it can't be defined because what is restorative for you in some ways is not restorative for me and all of the people listening, right? And so I hope that these ideas will, you know, put all of this in the show notes um, so that maybe you can come back and look at these things. But um, I think that it kind of really brings it full circle as to why things like sleep and pets and meditating and um, all of these things are so important. We've also talked about turning off screens before as a way that was helpful for my children with ADHD, right? Mm -hmm. And it reduced their stress. It reduced their um, stimulation levels so that they could get back in touch with their own bodies. This is this is a contributing factor as to why, and it's absolutely an act of self-care to do that for you or to help your loved ones and encourage them to do it. I know sometimes Matt will say to me when he sees me like really getting stressed out, like he might say, hey, do you want to go take a bath? Or, you know, I'll say to the kids, hey, let's play chess if I see they're all kind of like amped up because I know that that's a game that they like and that really by the time we're done with it, their brains have been activated in a different sort of way. So this is absolutely something that you can also help other people do as well um, to be a support system to them. But I really want to encourage everybody to challenge themselves to lean into the ways of self-care that feel a little bit uncomfortable for you but that you feel so restored on the, on the back end. And, you know, it might be things like making annual appointments. Um, It might be saying no, but it also might be um, the complete opposite of what resonates with Sarah and I. Um, Maybe being silly and having dance parties makes you feel really vulnerable and uncomfortable, but on the other end, you've had a good time and you feel lighter. 
maybe push yourself for that. Um, so I appreciate, Sarah, you laying the smack on science previously so that we could kind of like have this little um, self-love fest. It is never a bad time to practice self-care. And if you want to hear more ideas about the truth about what Sarah and I are doing and not doing, we're going to pop over to Patreon and um, give you the the real real on all this. I also just want to let you know that I created this like self-care bingo card and we'll put um, the graphic in our show notes. But it's got a whole bunch of different kinds of things on it from walking in nature, letting yourself cry, um, asking for help. That's a hard one for me. Um, but I do feel better after if I need help, right? Like different kinds of things like that. Did a puzzle, took a bath in, um, a bingo format for you because I feel like, for me, it really pushed me in the month of February, I blacked out the board. And the last day of February, I had two that I hadn't done yet. And it was meditate. And um, I forget what the other one was. But I it made me realize the things that I'm, I'm not doing. And so if you want a reminder for yourself of like, okay, let me let me try to get a bingo this week, or let me try to get a bingo this month, um, you'll look at the board and you'll be like, okay, these are some ideas that I can do so cool yeah um anyway so i will talk to you on patreon sarah i can't (laughs) wait to hear what you feel about this upside down topsy-turvy show well thanks for listening i'll be back next week do you love the whole view podcast we'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. Go ahead, Wesley. Speaking of children coming first. Okay, but what do you need? I don't. I don't need to know about your project. You need the tape. Yes. Okay. That was epic timing. (laughs) Please shut the door when you leave. Mm Mm-hmm. So for those who are hearing this and the bloopers, like, I just put my kid first, right? I didn't tell him, mm-hmm. F you, you can't have the tape. <laughs> Leave here. Um, because I know that I can come, I can, I can come back from this. That, that wasn't like draining for me in a way that I couldn't deal. Um, but there are other circumstances where it would have, could have been and that I might draw the line. Okay. Going back to the show. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.